Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. I am your librarian, Katrina. If you are new here, welcome. This is where I am reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. Since it's still spooky season, this week's book of the week is Calling the Spirits, A History of Seances by Lisa Morton. Let's see here. The accompanying cocktail is called Silent Seance. It is one and a half ounces of mezcal, a half ounce of dark rum, a half ounce of pineapple juice, a half ounce of lemon juice, a quarter ounce of coffee liqueur, and a quarter ounce of simple syrup, one dash of aromatic bitters, and a long pepper to garnish. There's a lot going into this cocktail, so let's do this. I'm not quite sure what I was expecting when I started reading this book, but I was pleasantly surprised by a straight-up history read on mankind's quest for contact with life after death, starting with Gilgamesh. Um, like, like, literally. That thousands of years ago now we've been trying to make contact with the dead, from ancient Mesopotamia through Egypt, Greece, Rome, there were rituals to contact the dead, each with their own prohibitions and spells required for contact. I know, my, uh... Now, I have not read Gilgamesh, but I have read the Odyssey, so it, it was familiar with Odysseus's methods of reaching Hades. Boy, that is a lot to say. Odysseus's methods of contacting Hades. Just as an aside, and it's not mentioned in this book because it's not relevant to this book, it's not germane, but one fun historical fact is that the city of Troy was assumed to be pure myth up until about the 19th century when an amateur archaeologist, Heinrich Schliemann, reading the Odyssey, followed Odysseus's route, and found Troy. So with that in mind, I kind of had to wonder if the Greeks were onto something with their methods of ghost contact, because that's some pretty impressive historical accuracy from a fable, right? Um, dark rum. So, so anyways, the Romans, after the Greeks, of course, were quite a bit grislier with their rituals and rites, a lot bloodier, because everything in Rome was bloodier. Um, and look, Rome was credited with a lot, and they did a lot, don't get me wrong. But compared to the Greeks, they were absolute fucking savages. Yes, half ounce of dark rum. Oh wait, that's the coffee liqueur. That is not rum, that's coffee liqueur. That's going to change things considerably if I do that wrong. Now the Germanic tribes, of course, were mentioned. They had lots of death rites in accordance with Odin. And of course, mo most people are at least familiar with Valhalla, although less are familiar with Folkvanger and Niflheim, which are ruled over by Freya and Hel, respectively. And if you died at sea, you might be taken to the underwater dwelling of the giant Hisran. So there were lots of death gods in Norse mythology. Death, they were a lot closer to death and the gods back then, I think. A lot more aware of what could happen. Uh, so the Celts are also mentioned, kind of have to be. They also had quite a few death rites. Uh, they had several psychopomps as well. Um, I know the Morgan and Manon and McLear are too, and of course they have the belief in Tiernanog, which has survived quite well. And actually is mentioned roundabout, because Tiernanog is known as the Greenlands, and the Greenlands became a very big part of the spiritualist movement in the 19th century. So they kind of came full circle, that the ancient Celts did. Let me do half an ounce of pineapple, half an ounce of lemon. Still not doing fresh lemons, because I still don't have a kitchen, although we painted today, so I'm getting closer. Um, now, when Rome fell and the Catholic Church rose in the West, necromancy became a thing. I mean, don't get me wrong, those, the, the Greeks, the Romans, Gilgamesh, all of this was lumped into necromancy because it's all ultimately the same thing, the desire to contact the dead. And so that was all part of it. But 
with the rise of Christianity, it went very underground. In that speaking to the dead was never necessarily a popular thing to do with the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians. Well, okay, maybe not the Egyptians. The Egyptians definitely, definitely had nothing against speaking to the dead. The ancient Egyptians. I'm going to get back to that in just a moment. But with the Catholic faith, that became taboo. You weren't supposed to try necromantic rituals. You weren't supposed to try and contact the dead. Okay, you know what? I'm almost done with this. I need about a quarter ounce of coffee liqueur. Just a tiny little bit of coffee liqueur. Dash of aromatic bitters. There we go. And we shake the shit out of it. All right, so necromancy was taboo with the Catholics, and along with witchcraft, necromancy was definitely a burnable offense. And here, Morton does touch on John Dee, Edward Kelly, in addition to the Inquisition and German witch burnings. Included in this section are references to the earlier works of medieval necromancers cited, which include both Jewish and Arabic influences. Uh, Arabic, not Egyptian, there's a difference. And it's kind of ironic, actually it's really deeply ironic, because none of that helped the victims of the Inquisition any, since both of those faiths are enemies of the true faith, that faith being Catholicism, of course. And what's really ironic in Christian necromancers citing Arabic influences is that, quote, Islam doesn't offer the possibility of ghosts. Black magic or sorcery, known as Sayer, I'm probably mispronouncing that, are recognized in the Quran, but ghosts are not. Sorcerers may call on jinn, and jinn may impersonate ghosts, but the spirits of the dead don't return. Which kind of makes this Disney joke a little bit funnier. Rule number three! I can't bring people back from the dead. It's not a pretty picture. I don't like doing it! <laughs> I just threw some alcohol on my cat. I'm sorry, cat. I didn't mean to throw alcohol on your head. Are you okay? Alright, so this is supposed to be in a coupe glass. Still no coupe glass. So we are, of course, going with my blue cup again. We'll hopefully have a coupe glass sometime in the next two weeks. So next we turn to the Enlightenment and the early Gothic eras, the Gothic Romantic era. Gothic Romantic would be like Frankenstein, right? those early works, um, you know, Portrait of Dorian Gray, that stuff, Byron, blah, blah, blah. Now the Enlightenment brought an end to witch burning. Uh, I mean, even, even like one of the Inquisitors is like, I don't know if we've ever actually accomplished anything with the burning of these women. And that was kind of the end of the Inquisition and the beginning of the Enlightenment. Um, but philosophy at this point, if you will, broke down into two branches. You had one, the age of reason, wherein death was believed to be the end, and a renewed and more public interest in mysticism was the second one. Now, as the topic of this book was spiritualism, the author focused on the mystics, not so much the, the philosophers, you know, so she mentions, you know, John Locke. You know, those were the Enlightenment philosophers. Descartes. There you go. I remember he was in there. But they're not the topic of this book because they didn't believe in the spiritualism. Um, you know, who did believe was Cagliostro. And so Cagliostro is mentioned. And so, and he's well enough known that, of course, he was included in Marvel for, you know, his, his work. The book of Cagliostro is mentioned in Doctor Strange. It's on my turtle logo. It's the, the red one. It's supposed to be the book of Cagliostro. In addition to Cagliostro, the Comte Saint-Germain was covered moving into the creation of Magic Lantern and the Phantasmagoria shows. Now, it looks like from reading this that the people in the 18th century were well aware that this was entertainment purposes only. They knew they weren't actually seeing ghosts. It was explained how this is done. We have the Magic Lantern and this is what we're doing with these slideshows. It is exceptionally tart. Tart's a hard sell for me. I mean, I'll, I'll drink it, but that's a hard sell for me. They knew it was entertainment purposes only. They knew it was not really ghosts and ghouls and long-legged beasties that were dancing across the stage. But safe scares are always fun. 
And that's why roller coasters and haunted houses are so fun. We're, we're aware that it's a trick on us, right? So they're safe. Nothing really bad is going to happen to you in those. Barring the exceptional, you know, being smacked in the head with a, by a seagull when you're on a, heli- on a, a roller coaster sort of thing bad. Um, ghost stories, gothic horror, telltale heart, these are safe scares. We know it's not real. But by the 19th century, safe was no longer cutting it. The people are primed and ready for actual contact and enter in the Fox sisters. And I'm not going to go too deeply into them. I mean, they kicked off the whole spiritualist movement, which is still going strong, believe it or not, despite the Fox sisters denying it and saying it was all garbage. It never really happened. Well, my face is really bright here, but it's 170 years and counting and it's still going on. But I read the book on the Fox sisters in 2021. That book is actually cited in this book, but so I don't need to go into them again. The Fox sisters were the first, but by no means the last. It didn't take long for the spirits to become as popular in Europe as they were in America. Morton covers in detail the feud over spiritualism between Arthur Conan Doyle and his one-time friend Harry Houdini. And it was interesting because the two of them actually switched points of view. Uh, Initially, Houdini was a believer in the spirits until he became immersed in the culture and began practicing magic, you know, his magic. And he knew his magic was, was a trick, right? He knew that it was a humbug and it was done to entertain people. And the people watching knew that it was done to entertain people. He never tried to say it was anything other, which is why he was never brought up on fraud charges. Yeah, my camera, I'm definitely looking very bright right now. Houdini was initially a believer in the spirits. And it wasn't until he began practicing magic, at which point he flipped around and became the penultimate skeptic on the matter. He, he, because he knew from his own magic tricks that this was all tomfoolery. Nothing was actually happening. It was all sleight of hand, trick of the eye. And so he started trying to, to kind of decry that. And of course, famously, seances are being held like today. I want to say on the anniversary of his death, but I could be mistaken on that. It was it was mentioned in the book that that like once a year they hold a seance trying to contact Harry Houdini, and that long outlasted his spouse's search for contact. I mean, she died in 1943, having never made contact with him from the other side. Now, some of the common themes of the spiritualists of the 19th century were that they had contact with the same spirits. Isn't that interesting? So multiple mediums all over would have contact with a Katie King or a John King. I don't know if there really was a Katie. I'm sure there really were, like, historically people named Katie and John King. Those are some very common names. That's like saying, oh, I'm in contact with John Smith. Well, yeah, okay, that's, could you be more vague? I mean, John Doe, I guess, would be more vague technically, but seriously. The other really fun one was, uh, for some reason, they would have contact with Black Hawk, a Native American warrior. Seemed to communicate an awful lot with white people in the 19th century. Just make that what you will. I mean, I don't know. It seems like the tribes, if they commune with the dead, probably have their own rituals that don't include white people. But that's just, I'm skeptical of that one. But, um, I mean, I do believe in ghosts. So, note, I believe in ghosts. I'm not sure about mediums. Uh, cold reading is too well known for me to not be a wee bit skeptical about psychics. Okay. Now, conversely, you had Arthur Conan Doyle, who was a complete skeptic going into the seance and mediumship, but came out the other side a firm believer. And when his own spouse began practicing automatic writing, which basically is wherein the medium enters a trance state and allows the spirits to write through the medium, Doyle offered her services to Houdini to try and prove that the spirits were real. 
And when Jean Lecky, which was a spouse, began writing a stream of English claiming it was communication from Houdini's mother, Houdini questioned the veracity based on a very simple point. His mother had never spoken English in her life. Why would she suddenly be fluent in it in death? Conan Doyle took offense on his wife's behalf at this question, believing Houdini was accusing her of fraud, which he basically was. Because seriously, why would the spirits need to speak a language they didn't understand in life? That makes no earthly sense to me. If they're trying to communicate with somebody, why wouldn't his mother have spoken him in their native tongue? I mean, it was automatic writing, so she didn't technically need to know the language to write in it. All she needed to do was let the spirit flow through her, and the spirit could have written in whatever the language would have made more sense for that particular ghost. It's like people who say, oh, I'm the reincarnation of Marie Antoinette, but don't speak a word of French. It's like, really? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. There, there, some things I believe in, some things I'm a bit harsher on. Now, the two world wars, and actually the Civil War also, spiritualism was kind of waning until the Civil War. Civil War happened, and of course people wanted to make contact with their deceased loved ones and know if, if they were okay on the other side. Hello, kitty. Hello, my cat. Uh, the two world wars brought renewed interest in spiritualism on both sides of those as those who lost loved ones through the extreme violence sought to contact them or some proof that they were safe after all and there's a lot of fraud involved in all of this a lot of fraud and morton doesn't hold any pudges i mean she's not she's not mean with it she's not bitchy with it but she just says this was fraud and here's why we know this was fraud um and she brings the topic all the way up to present day into the 21st century with such psychic superstars as John Edwards, Yvette Fielding of Britain's Most Haunted, Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson of Ghost Hunters, myriad spinoffs of both of those shows. She includes how psychics have been involved in law enforcement and crime solving as well as crime committing because of the long history of fraud involved with, <laughs> with, with that has coexisted in the psychic community. Um, I love how her last chapter is called Why Do We Need the Seance? And the why is in parentheses, so it could just be read as Do We Need the Seance? Not just Why Do We Need the Seance? And while the entire book was superlatively written as just straight history, and I still am not sure if the author believes in psychic powers or not, this last chapter basically says that belief in the afterlife is comforting, and, and that's, that's why we do it. Belief that our loved ones are still out there somewhere comforts people tremendously. So much so that even Michael Shermer, who was the famed author of Skeptic Magazine, allowed that spiritualism had, quote, presented a relationship to the divine that was broad-minded, without dogma, hopeful, and liberating. And so, I mean, obviously he's skeptical, <laughs> Skeptic Magazine, but he acknowledges that people get comfort from that. And, and, that's, and that's a large part of why, right? Why do we do this? Why do we reach out to, to mediums and have seances? To, to contact the other side because we want that comfort. We want to know that our loved ones are still taken care of and okay, even in passing. And the author is extremely neutral, uh, I, which is a mark of an excellent researcher and author. She does, she's not inputting her own opinions into the subject matter. Opinions should be left out in favor of reporting just the facts. And the facts that are presented in this book is that a whole lot of fraud went on in regard to spiritualism. Uh, and Morton offers a reason why on that as well, which is that most of those who engage in mediumship came from lower class households. And th this life offered them a way out of poverty and access to the rich and powerful, which they would not have had otherwise. And who wouldn't want that? I quite like this book. Um, it's not for everybody, obviously. True believers will be irritated by the just the facts style of reporting. Just the Facts does include discussion of this photograph, though. Well, right here, this photograph. 
Uh, that's the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall, which, and the author includes this in here, point blank, it's the only photograph of a ghost that has never been conclusively disproven. So that says something. It's partly why I still believe in ghosts, because of the, the outliers, right? Those one-offs, those outliers make you go, okay, maybe. I mean, even this picture of Mary Todd Lincoln and the assassinated President Lincoln has been shown to be a clever photography trick, way back when photography used plates for processing. Um, the book does focus heavily on European and American study of spirits, which is not to say that other cultures don't have contact with spirits, and the author briefly touches on them, but the book was specifically talking about spiritualism as a belief and the Western belief in spirit contact. So to write a book regarding those beliefs that encompass the entire globe would be a daunting task, as most cultures include some aspect of honor and communication with the ancestors. Uh, an interesting side note. Now, she does include, and this is interesting, she includes bits of voodoo because that is a uniquely American belief, not American as an American in the country, but of course voodoo came up as part of the slave trade. Most likely would not exist as a religion had we never imported large swaths of people who were not native to this land specifically to act as servitors. So voodoo... So again, it's that connection to American belief systems, African-American, but still American belief systems, which are, were included. Although, yeah, she mentioned, she had, well, she had to mention Marie Laveau. You can't talk about voodoo and not mention Marie Laveau. One thing I found really interesting and probably would have been a huge red flag to me way back in the day, if I were there, is that Generally speaking, the spirit guides were a very generic Katie King, John King, rather than specific relatives of the seance attendees. So that's always interesting. Like, why would these people going to the seance, trying to make contact with a specific loved one, have to go through an intermediary like a John King or a Katie King, and then the medium? So two intermediaries. You got the medium, and then you got the her spirit control, right? Um, I did find one glaring omission in the book, which I was a little surprised by and didn't catch at first, but she does not mention Edgar Casey in the book. And Casey was well known in his day for interacting with spiritual beings and used that to predict World War II, which, okay, maybe is not so hard to predict. I mean, if you followed politics at all, and I read that book last week, or not last week, last month, The Wilson's War, two months ago, August, Wilson's War, right? But he also predicted the 1929 stock market crash, Okay, so maybe that was also not so hard to predict. Um, you know, you just watch the trends. Okay, maybe Casey was just very good at predicting trends. Maybe he wasn't in touch with spirits at all. But he thanked his predictions on spirit guides, so I'm kind of surprised she didn't mention Casey at all. Uh, also not included in this book is the distinct possibility that in ancient necromancy, and I mean ancient, right, like Gilgamesh, Egypt, Greece, Rome, it's highly likely that psilocybin was used in those rites. I have a feeling, however, that that topic will be discussed in full in one of December's books. But overall, I quite like this one. It was a solid little historical reference. And it's the sort of thing where if, if you know, somebody's trying to talk about how awesome spiritualism is and the psychics are real and John Edwards, I can be like, mm, well, slow your roll. You might want to check out this book. She's got some interesting things to say on the topic. And uh, that's it for this week. I uh, will let you guys know where I'm at with my kitchen next week. I'm sure you're all riveted by my horrifying kitchen remodel details. And I will see you guys next Sunday.